You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We do have some really good stuff for you in our bulletin today. And some of the stuff that we wanted to highlight, we have nice bold pictures for right in the center. We have some Triumph Sports Camps coming up next month. Uh, Triumph Sports is a great organization that uses things like dodgeball camp and basketball camp to uh, bring in kids that maybe traditionally wouldn't come to a church and to use that time to teach them about Jesus. There are a number of different options for you to sign kids up to. It's open to any kid between the ages of 5 and 12. Um, and they offer financial assistance. We have financial assistance. If you need more information about it, I would be happy to talk to you. Uh, we also have the Ladies Movie Night social coming up uh, on uh, Monday the 9th, I believe. Yep, Monday the 9th. The ladies will be watching Paul the Apostle of Christ together, having some ice cream. So you are invited to that. Bring some friends. We also have uh, the Pancrats back uh, on furlough for the summer, and they are going to be hosting a night of prayer for the Middle East. There's all the details about that in the bulletin so that you can kind of catch up with Brian and Megan and, and see what's going on. We've heard that they're, they're close to some really big breakthroughs in the work that they've been doing, so we would love to just pack out that prayer meeting. And then, and then lastly, at the bottom, we have a reminder that we're still taking VBS volunteer registrations. Uh, we're still registering kids too, but uh, we need a large volunteer crew to pull off VBS. Two of the largest needs are the setup crew the Saturday before VBS and the teardown crew the Saturday after VBS so that we can transform the church into our VBS venue and then clean it up for church again afterwards. The, the website is in there so that you guys can go and get all the information that you need and sign up for an area that you think would work best for you. And we hope that you take part. VBS has kind of been a longstanding tradition here, and uh, it's benefited so many families in the church and in the community. Uh, it's a great thing to help out with. Well, good morning. Uh, well, each week, uh, like many of us, I receive an email uh, with the e-news that tells us what our message is going to be about this week. And often I don't make time to read the scripture beforehand. Uh, but this week, since I knew I'd be standing up here, I thought that might be a good idea. So I did, and I'm really glad that I did, uh, because it reminded me of the things that I should be pursuing in addition to my faith. I think that's what Jeff's going to speak with us about. And reminders are really important. Peter tells us that in verse 12. And he says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. And what he's speaking of there is the things we should be pursuing like godliness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. And we do that for ourselves, right? We have reminders. I have an Outlook calendar where my meetings and appointments are. And 15 minutes before my meeting, my reminder goes off so that I don't forget to do something important, right? So, and, and Peter tells us that he's going to keep reminding us as long as he lives. 
So those reminders are really important. And so churches all over the world have this time in their worship service where we are reminded that out of our thankfulness and appreciation for, for a God that fights our battles for us, right, for providing grace at every horizon, that we should be thankful people and we should be giving of our time and our talents and our resources to share those with others. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the reminders that you provide to us. Thank you for helping us to remember that out of our thankfulness for what you did for us on the cross, we should be giving of our time and our treasures and be charitable to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you guys here uh, this morning. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 2 Peter. I'll make this really easy. If you start from the back, you have Revelation, and then Jude, and then 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, and then 2nd Peter. I could be wrong, but I think that's where it's at. Uh, Anyway, it's in the back, so look for 2nd Peter. While you're looking, I just wanted to share with you real quick, Kevin kind of mentioned this. The summer is a really important time for student and children's discipleship ministry. My wife just walked in a minute ago. This is the first time I've seen her in a couple days. We're kind of like single parents passing uh, in the night through the summer, always on the road, uh, moving, and it's, it's really, really busy. It's a busy time for Travis. It's a busy time for me. But when I say that, it's not busy like, oh, man, summer's coming. Like, I can't, can't wait to get through it and get past it. It's awful. It's not like that. Summer's amazing. And we've already had a lot of great things happen. We've, uh, we've had our junior high students at Tanglewood then this past week. We had our third through fifth graders at camp. And I actually snuck out there on Thursday because not only did Travis take all of our uh, third through fifth graders to camp, he was the camp speaker. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, and I snuck out so I could hear him speak and he did an amazing job. So if you guys know Travis, if you guys have kids in children's ministry and you see him here on campus, or maybe even just send him an email later, uh, thank him. He does an amazing job. I love having my kids... Uh, and Quest kids over there, he just, he does a great job. So he did a great job at camp, and I brought some kids home really late at night on Thursday. We stopped at Bucky's, and I gave them a bunch of sugary snacks, and they crashed immediately, and it was a beautifully quiet trip. Uh, but then kids turned around and went back. We had first and second graders there. That's where Kevin and Travis and, and some of those folks were. So always kind of on the move. And today at 3 o'clock, our, uh, some of our junior high and senior high students are going to be here to load up in a van. And we're going on a long trip to downtown Houston. I love that this is so close. But we're going to do a mission trip where we're going to be serving with Houston Food Bank. We're going to be serving with kids' meals. We're going to take a prayer walk through downtown. We're going to stop at... City Hall and and pray over the decisions that are made there. We're going to stop and uh, pray in some other parts of Houston. It's a really fun week. Uh, It's really hot. We spend a lot of time outside. We'll be going to some apartment complexes and uh, playing games with kids outside. Uh, A lot of fun, really, really draining, but our kids always hit it out of the park. We have amazing students here. So keep us in your prayers this week. And we'll return on Friday at lunch, and then Saturday evening we hit the road for Colorado to go backpacking. I know it's a rough life. Uh, But while you're here chewing the air and you have mosquitoes in your teeth, I'll be breathing the Colorado mountain air. So uh, I'll be praying for you that week. I'll keep you in my prayers. Uh, So busy, busy summer, a lot going on. Just as you think about us, uh, say a prayer for us. So 
Today, uh, we finish our series called Summer Reading, and the idea of Summer Reading came to me because I have a stack of books that sits around my house, sometimes on my desk, sometimes on, uh, sometimes on my shelf, and I've noticed, by the way, each week when I get back up here, the stack has been rearranged, so whoever's doing that, nice work, so now my, my little system here is all messed up, but uh, I think some are missing. Anyway, so this is my stack of books, and the idea is... These are the books that I want to read. Somebody will recommend a book. Someone will give me a book. And I'll put it on the stack. And then I'll take one off the top. And I'll read it. But while I'm reading that book, typically I read kind of slow. There, there ends up being like one or two more will make the stack. Right? So I've never been to the bottom of the stack. But without fail, some of the books kind of make their way towards the bottom. Just another book takes precedent over there. There's not a book in the stack that I don't want to read. But... You know how it is, you're more excited about this one, so you pull that one out. And some books make their way all the way to the bottom, and it seems like I I never quite get to them, right? Well, the Bible is basically like a stack of 66 books. And there are books that we spend a lot of time in, in church, and rightfully so. We spend a lot of time in the Gospels, we'll spend some time in Psalms, we'll spend some time in uh, Acts and Romans. Uh, But there's a lot of books in the Bible that we we don't really take the time to, to talk about on a Sunday morning. Right, And so this idea of a summer reading list, the, the series called Summer Reading, is that we're taking some of the books off the bottom of the stack that we never get to, uh, and we're just going to talk all the way through the book. So what we've done, uh, the idea was to do four books in three weeks. So today is the third week. We're going to do a fourth week. The last two weeks we've read all the way through the book in church. We're not going to be able to read through all the way through this one because there's three chapters, but I'll at least tell you what's in, uh, what's in all of it. So the first week we talked about, we read the book of Jude, and you'll remember that because I think we played a Beatles song that week, and as I prepared that sermon, that song was in my head the entire time, it was like the soundtrack. But Jude talked about false teachers, and this is a topic that comes up a lot in the New Testament. Um, And he talked about how false teachers, we, we worry so much in the church about what's going on outside of the church, right? And those are the people that Jesus reached out to and loved. But he's saying that the false teachers, the people that we need to be aware of, are actually inside the church. They infiltrate the church and they they do things to try and be divisive, cause dissent, uh, and and do damage to the church, right? That what we need to actually worry about is what's being taught in the church. So that was uh, was Jude, false teachers, and then he talked about how to persevere. So we talked about spending time in scripture, knowing what's in there so you can recognize what's true, and that we read scripture together, we read it in community, so there's accountability uh, so that was Jude. Last week we talked about Second and Third John, and Jude and Second John, and actually what we're going to read today, were letters that were written to the church, not a church, but to the church. So these letters got passed around. Second John was the same way. Third was actually written to a guy named uh, Gaius. But Second and Third John, we talked about three things: walking in the truth, and not walking as like a a person filled with facts, like a biblical encyclopedia, just on a beeline to the end of time, right? But the, the Greek word walk means to spend time in, right? That we actually, it's like a store. You go in and you, you see what's there and, right? Truth has boundaries for sure. Truth is not the postmodern belief that all truth is relative. There's absolute truth in scripture and we have to learn that truth and we have to learn to put that truth on and live in that truth and walk in that truth. So we talked about walking in the truth. We talked about loving one another, what that looks like. And we talked about hospitality and those three things are knotted together really tightly. Those three things are, are very similar, and you can't really do one without the other. 
Which brings us to Second uh, Peter. Second Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, which makes sense, right? It was most likely written right before his death and is very similar to Jude. A lot of scholars believe that Peter used the book of Jude as inspiration. Like as that letter made the rounds, the letter that Jude wrote, he, he was like, actually that bears repeating. That's, a good, that's good information. So I'm gonna kind of talk about that again. So a lot of people believe that, that Peter used uh, the book of Jude as inspiration, uh, possibly as a source. So um, a lot of you guys get the E! News and I kind of wrote a, a letter in the E! News this week and I wanna kind of touch on the same story. Uh, so some of you guys have heard this before, bear with me. But um, several years ago, I went to New Orleans uh, with my dad to visit the, World War, the National World War II Museum. And it's set up in a really cool way where as you walk through the museum room by room, it kind of starts with uh, when the war started then when we got involved and kind of all the steps uh, leading up to D-Day, right? And so my dad and I are both World War II um, buffs, I guess. And uh, he knows a lot more about it than I do. But we, we had a great day kind of walking through the museum. And as we walked through, I noticed that there was a man, it was an older gentleman, that was walking through with an employee. He had an employee with him. And I guess immediately I assumed that the employee was kind of showing him around. But as I watched and observed, uh, the older gentleman was actually doing all the talking to the employee. And it was almost like he was guiding the employee through the museum. I was like, I wonder what that's about. And it, finally, at some point, I actually faced the man and I could see that he had something around his neck, like a medal, that said World War II veteran. I thought it was really cool that the museum was taking the time to honor him and, and uh, they were spending some time with him in the museum. But when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm going to listen to what this guy's talking about. And so I tried to eavesdrop, probably not very smoothly, but uh, I was like, Dad, I'm going to go hear what he's talking about. And so he's explaining stuff and he'd stop at each exhibit and he'd talk a little bit about what was there and what he remembered. And it was really, really cool. And then we got to this room where they had a, a big exhibit that had one of the gliders that they used on the night before D-Day on June 5th. Uh, gliders were supposed to land in France and then they were going to use lights to light up the drop zone where the paratroopers would come down and then the paratroopers would take out the guns so the infantry could land on the beach. And you guys all know the story of the beach and uh, Normandy and D-Day. Um, but things didn't go according to plan. Obviously, um, we had enough people that we went in and we, we did what we wanted to do, uh, but it was chaos. The weather didn't cooperate. Um, and I don't think any of the gliders actually landed. I think they all crashed. And he, as he's kind of talking about the night, it dawns on me and he says something. He was one of the glider pilots. Like this man was there. And I can remember I got chills and I'm like, I don't even care if he knows I'm eavesdropping. I may stand directly in front of him and listen. Like, this is amazing. My dad's eyes lit up, and we kind of followed him around after that. But to hear him talk about that night and how he crashed his glider, and he doesn't know if he, like, blacked out or if, like, it was just a kind of a chaotic thing. And then he got out of the glider, and the water in this field was up to his waist because the Germans, like, flooded the field. So... He's talking about how quiet the night was. He's talking about the temperature. He's talking about things that he saw and he heard. Like this guy was an eyewitness to one of the most historic events in history, right? And I was, I was just spellbound and I wanted to hear everything that he had to say. And I believe that when this letter makes its rounds to the churches and they say that, hey, we have a letter from Peter, I think it probably did the same thing, right? Because you guys know who Peter was. 
right? This was a guy that did not stand on the sidelines or sit on the sidelines. This guy was involved in everything. Peter is the one who actually walked on water. Maybe only a couple steps, but he got out of the boat and he walked on water, right? He's the one that that jumped up and cut the soldier's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's the one who, um, you know, told Jesus that he would always be there and then denied him three times, right? Quickly after he tried to defend him in the Garden of Eden, he was denying him. Like this was the apostle Peter, right? And he demanded attention. So when they read the letter, they're like, oh, this is from Peter, right? He's the guy that was there. He saw all of this with his own eyes and he participated sometimes in embarrassing ways, but he was participating in what Jesus was doing, right? And one of the things that, that he talks about in his letter in Second Peter was that he was there for the transfiguration. And we'll talk about that another time. But this is where Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain and they saw Jesus in his glorified body and they actually audibly heard the voice of God saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Right? This guy was an eyewitness to some of the most amazing things ever on this planet. Right? And he, and he says in his letter, look guys, I'm writing this stuff to you and I'm not making it up. Like this isn't stuff that we have to fabricate. Like what I saw was real. Right? And so as they read this letter, you just know the church is super quiet and they're listening to every word and they can't wait to hear what Peter's going to share, right? So what we're going to do today, um, there's three chapters. I'm going to focus on chapter one. We're going to read almost all of chapter one, but I want to tell you real quickly what's in chapter two and three. Chapter two, like I said, it's very similar to Jude. Uh, he talks a lot about false teachers and you guys have homework this week, um, I haven't seen Dale, it feels like, in months. It's just a big whirlwind. But Dale's preaching next week. Um, between now and when he sends e-news or you get in here next Sunday, you've got plenty of time to read uh, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, read chapter 2. He basically is talking about the false teachers again, just like we heard in Jude. And then in chapter 3, he's reminding us that, hey, everything is in God's timing. right? And back there in the first century church, they were already starting to feel uh, like antsy about Jesus' return. Like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And they're awaiting. Do you guys remember when uh, we used to go to the airport to pick people up and you could go all the way to the gate and you'd watch all those people come off the, uh, um, what is that thing called? That, uh, the jetway, yeah, that the guy in Dumb and Dumber fell out of. Uh, <laughs> you see all those people coming off and you're looking and then you see your friend kind of looking and like you can meet right there. But remember that anticipation when you're, when you're standing there in the gate and you see the plane pull up and then they, they hook the thing up to the side and you're like, let's go. You know that your friend's probably in the back or that somebody cut them off in the plane to get off. But you're like, there's all that anticipation, like, come on, come on, come on, come on, right? The first century church was feeling that. And so Peter wrote to him and he's like, look, this is in God's timing, right? And here we are 2,000 years later and it still hasn't happened yet, but we have to live in anticipation as well is what he's basically saying. That like Jesus is going to return. It's in his timing. And the only time, honestly, that I, this is a confession, the only time that I anticipate Jesus' return and I think about it and I pray that Jesus will return is when I'm stuck in traffic or I have a dentist appointment. I'm like, you know what, Jesus, just come back now. This is a really good time. Like this, this works really, really well for me. Uh, come back. Let's, new heaven, new earth. Let's do this whole thing differently. Uh, but they, they lived in that anticipation. And he's like, guys, it's okay. Just be patient. 
uh, it's going to happen in God's timing, right? Uh, but we're going to read through, through most of chapter 1 here. So let's begin uh, with verse 1. I'm going to read 1 and 2, and then uh, I'm going to pray the same blessing uh, on us this morning that Peter Peter's giving to the church. So verse 1, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, a faith of equal standing. Don't think of this as like a ladder, like a hierarchy, right? He's like, you guys, you guys understand what we understand. You've seen what we've seen. You've experienced the same things that we've experienced, right? We're on the same page. May grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. As you have your eyes closed, maybe just take a second to take a couple of deep breaths and just relax. And if you feel comfortable in the stillness of your heart, just ask God to speak to you this morning through this letter that Peter wrote, inspired by the Spirit so many years ago. Father, we first pause to confess that you are God and that we are not. Father, we have to start there. And Father, we seek your guidance this morning. We ask that you speak to us through your word. Father, give us insight, reveal your truth to us. Help us to hear your voice this morning. And Father, as we do this, we pray that your grace and your peace be multiplied among us. Father, speak to us with grace. And Father, speak to us in a way that brings us peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 3. The first three words here are verse 3. I could just talk about this for the next hour, and then we could all go home. Uh, I'm not going to, but I could. Um, it just says this, his divine power. And what I want you to hear when we say this, his divine power, is that it's not your divine power. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's his power, not ours. It has nothing to do with anything that we've done. And I know that when you say that to a group of people, they're... There are going to be people that hear that and they're like, that's the best news ever. And there's going to be people that are like, that's terrible, right? But it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with our abilities, with our resume. It has nothing to do with anything that comes from us. It's his divine power, right? All of us have this moment, uh, we hope, where um, things come into focus, Right? And somebody, maybe, maybe it's at camp, maybe it's at church, maybe it's at home, like with your parents when you're little, where all of a sudden you decide that whatever it was that Jesus did, I want to be a part of that. I want that to be a part of me, right? And we become a Christian. Sometimes we say a prayer. Sometimes it's just us raising our hand and saying, absolutely, yes, God, right? Right? But we have that moment where we step out of death and we step into life. We step into the light. And 
And in this moment of realization where we have this clarity that I need Jesus, right? It's like this giant spotlight has been shown onto our life and it shows everything. Like everything is now under the light. We can see all of like the nooks and crannies and the corners where we used to try to hide stuff. All of that has been exposed, right? And we stand there and it's humbling, right? We stand there in in an emotional and spiritual way. We're totally naked standing before God with this light shining on us. And we we have this clarity. And his light shines into all the dark places and reveals things to us and makes makes things clear. And one of two things happens as we, as we begin to walk in the Christian faith, as we begin to try and walk in the light. One of two things happens. One, either we beat ourselves up because we see those things and we think, I am not worthy for this light. I am not worthy for the things that he has done for me. And you are so right. We're not worthy, but that's the beauty of it, Right? He shines the light and the, and the light is forgiveness. The light is grace. The light is peace. But sometimes that's hard to accept, right? We, we have this light on us and we think, I don't, I don't deserve this. And so we step out of it. And we, we spend the rest of our life coming to church and, and being involved in Bible study, but we live with this heavy, heavy guilt, Right? And sometimes, people, it's kind of the opposite, right? We love to have the light shown on us. And we feel like we've done a lot of good things in our life. And we, we have the biggest small group at church. And everyone in our family is going into ministry, right? And we only listen to KSBJ and watch Right Now Media, right? And we have this resume we've put together, Right? And we're wearing this crown that we've made that's beautiful and we've put all these jewels in it. Right? And it's about us and it's about what we can do. Right? And there's no humility in it whatsoever. And, and both of these things are extremes. Right? And so we probably live somewhere in between and maybe we hop back and forth from one to the other. Okay? Um, but it takes, it takes humility to walk in the light. And I'm telling you, it's free. You can let go of the guilt and you can let go of your effort and you can just stand in the light and let his divine power be all you need. You don't have to do anything. It has nothing to do with us because look at this. It's already done. The cross already happened. We're not talking about an event that's gonna happen. It's already finished. What did he say on the cross? It is finished right? That's good news. It's finished. So we can stand in the light and hold up our hands and bask in it in the grace and the forgiveness and the peace, right? It's his divine power. And Peter starts with that. It's nothing that we have done or need to do or should do. It's his divine power. Verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And what are the promises? The promises are a new heaven, a new earth. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So when you hear partakers of the divine nature, um, the word here, have you guys ever heard the word quantania? 
uh, I grew up in a Methodist church, and that word is thrown around like crazy in the Methodist church. And that's what all the small groups are called. That's what all the Bible studies are called. And it basically means like a community, right? A community of faith. Um, and that's what this word, uh, this word partakers uh, comes from that word, or, or quantity, it comes from the word partakers, which means that we are, we're partners living in community with. We're not, we're not equal to the divine nature, but we're partners in it, right? We've now, we're standing in the light and we can participate in what God is doing. We're partners in the gospel mission, right? And so the idea is that we slowly become more and more like him, right? And what, so what does that mean to become more and more like him? Well, as we read in scripture and we kind of get to know what the nature of God is about and we get to see Jesus and the things that he cared about, uh, we start to care about those things. And not right off the bat, right? When you step into the light, everything's not zapped, you're perfect, you're never gonna make a mistake again. You guys know better than that, right? But over time, we can look back and we can see that, hey, I'm starting to think differently. I'm starting to behave differently. I'm starting to react to things differently. And things that I used to care about, I care less about and I see that the things that God cares about, I'm starting to care more about, right? We become partners in those things. We care about the things that God cares about. And what does he care about? He cares about the marginalized. He cares about the poor. Uh, He cares about the people outside of the church, right? Uh, That's where we take the gospel. It says having escaped from the corruption, right? We escape from corruption into community. Right? You never escape from something into nothing. It's not just like a clean slate. Right? But we escape from the corruption, from the sin, from the darkness, and we, we escape to the light. We escape to community, to where we're partakers. I said that funny. Where we're partakers um, of the divine nature. So verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So the word virtue here, uh, up in, in verse three, uh, we read that uh, he called us to his own glory and excellence. The word virtue here is the same word uh, that he uses for, um, that Peter uses for excellence earlier. And, and basically this means it's like the sum like of all of the desirable qualities, like Christian virtues, think like, fruit of the spirit, right? Uh, so the sum of all of those things is what is excellent. Um, so for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with excellence. And it starts with excellence, with knowledge, right? And so this knowledge is like an understanding or, or an insight. It's not just facts. It's not just memorizing scripture, which is great. I'm not saying don't do that right? Uh, but it's an understanding and insight into what God is doing, not into what we're capable of doing, right? But where is God at work? What are the things that God cares about, right? We begin to, to gain a knowledge of those things, right? Um, we study scripture. We discuss it in community. Great time again to mention uh, our life groups, right? We find a mentor, somebody that can pour into us and we, we grow in our knowledge. Does that make sense? So do you, guys, do you guys have bulletins this morning? I don't have a bulletin. But I think on the back of the bulletin, there's like an area where you can take notes. Don't tell Donna. I don't know whether it's there or not. Okay, excellent. Uh, 
If you have a pen and you have a bulletin, I want you to write some words down this morning. And the first word is knowledge. We're going to make a list of these words together. Right, so all of the, all of the important virtues begin with knowledge. We have to understand what's happening. Verse six, and you supplement knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, right? So self-control, we supplement our knowledge with self-control. The more that we know, we have to have self-control. Otherwise, we're wielding that, right? And we become arrogant and we're throwing stuff around and all of a sudden we're the one in charge and we're the boss. And that's not the point at all, right? We have to show self-control, And self-control is typically about saying no. There are some areas in life, rare occasions, where self-control is about saying yes to something. But typically, self-control means saying no. And so you have to deny yourself something, right? You don't use that knowledge for your own gain, so you have to say no. You, You come to a decision. It sounds easy to talk about it in here, right? But you come to a decision, I know this is right, I know this is wrong, And so many times we're like, I think I'm going to do the wrong thing today, right? If we're really honest, we're like, I've been here before. Uh, That's really, really difficult. Great benefits long-term, but I'm doing this. Like, this sounds awesome, right? Uh, But we get to these these places and we use self-control and we're like, no, no, no. I understand things differently now. I'm going this way, right? This is taking me farther away from where I'm trying to get in the long run. So I'm taking this path, the path that God has laid out before me. So we use self-control. And as you do that, I have to be careful here, it's never gonna be easy, but it will get easier, right? The second time you say no is a little bit easier because the first time it went well. You're like, okay, that wasn't so bad. So I can say no this time again. And then you say no again, you say no again. And you find that over time, Like you don't even find yourself at this decision anymore, right? You don't find yourself in that same place because you continually use self-control. You've used your knowledge, you've applied self-control to it and you're making progress. So the second thing I want you to write there on that list is self-control. Then it says to supplement our self-control with steadfastness. I don't say the word steadfastness a whole lot. Maybe you guys do. Maybe that's a word that you use in conversation at work a lot. Um, but steadfastness is basically the same thing as perseverance or the word that nobody likes, patience, right? Lots of jokes about, you know, praying for patience and God's giving it to you so it makes you pray for patience and it's like this never-ending cycle. Um, God, I need patience right now, right? Have you guys ever prayed that prayer? Uh, nobody likes to talk about patience. Patience is difficult, right? But patience is not just... Um, something that you do in a moment, right? It's a frame of mind, right? It comes from a place where we've allowed God's peace to enter us, right? It's a frame of mind. Like, I'm not in control anyway. It's okay. Things are gonna be okay. I trust that God is gonna take care of me. So even though this situation is difficult, I'm picturing myself being very convicted in the back of my mind of traffic. Traffic is my Achilles heel. Uh, So confession, I'm terrible about this in traffic. But it's a frame of mind, it's an attitude of it's okay, we'll be all right. right? So we, we gain our knowledge and then we apply self-control to it and the self-control, we apply patience. We have to be patient even with ourselves, right? 
So 10 times in a row you made the right decision, then you made the wrong one. It's okay. It's all right. The cross already happened. You're covered. Give yourself some grace. God is giving you grace. Allow that grace to speak, right? It's a frame of mind. I messed up. Next time I won't. Let's move forward, right? And then we supplement our patience with godliness. And godliness is, um, it's a reverence, right? It's kind of a, it's basically a respect. Uh, faith is not a trophy or a power that we, that we wield, right? Um, there's never gonna be a time where we can control God. And you will see, as you read through the New Testament, you hear more and more and more and more about false teachers that they are trying to take God and wield him as their power, right? They try to use him for their own selfish gain. Um, There's no reverence or respect there, right? Reverence means that he is God. And sometimes things may happen that you don't understand, you don't like, uh, things may not go your way, but he's God, right? We are not. And you have that respect and you have that reverence uh, years ago, there was a T-shirt that I may or may not have had. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, if I had it, I'm sure somebody else bought it for me. You guys remember the Jesus is my homeboy T-shirts that were really popular for a while? Uh, not re- he's not really your homeboy. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator, right? And we can, we can have intimate conversations with him and we can pray, Abba, Father, but there still has to be respect. There still has to be reverence. He's not your buddy, who's going who's gonna to ride shotgun and, and take care of the radio for you, right? He's God. So we supplement our patience with reverence, which just makes sense. Like, how are we patient? We have to stop and, and make that confession over and over. You are God, I am not. And verse seven says, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So from this place of reverence, we practice brotherly affection. And the word in Greek is literally the word Philadelphia. There you go. Um, brotherly affection. And brotherly affection means that we, we show affection to the people that we live in community with, right? With the church. That we love one another well. That we forgive, that we show grace, that we help each other out. Uh, my wife and I live so far away from parents. I, we have parents in Northern California and in East Tennessee. And so nights where we want to go on a date, um, it, takes, like, it takes somebody else to help us out, right? And sometimes that helping us out is letting us have your child come hang out at our house and we'll give them some money and they'll entertain our kids and sing a dance for them for a couple hours. But still, like so many times we've, we've called on somebody at the last minute and we're like, um, we really need some help, Right? And people have stepped up. And there's been times where we've done that for other people. And, and we love one another. And we live in community. And we do life together. That's what this is about. Brotherly affection that we're not living life alone. Again, some of you, that's good news. To the introverts, you're like, come on, man. Right? But we are in community. And we do things together. And we look for opportunities. Right? We don't wait for somebody to raise their hand. We see that they're sinking. And we wait till the last minute. Oh, he raised his hand. Let's go get him. Like, don't let them even start to sink, right? We, we help each other out. Brotherly affection. And then finally, uh, with love. And this love is all-encompassing. 
right? All of those things, as we supplement with one another, lead to love, right? What were the two greatest commandments? Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself, right? Love is at the, is at the center of Jesus' message, right? It's all about finding ways to love people. This week, as the students go into downtown Houston, uh, we're finding ways to love people. Like, we'll be at the Houston Food Bank and we'll be putting stuff in boxes. That doesn't feel like love, right? But on the other end of that process, somebody's getting something they need. We'll go to kids' meals and we'll, we'll pack lunches for kids that would not have a meal if it were not for kids' meals, right? And so we're making bologna sandwiches for the kingdom, right? It doesn't sound amazing, but it is because people will feel loved on the other end of this process, right? Uh, Everything we do, when you follow it to its end, there is love. Somebody is is feeling love. Um, When we serve at Silverado, the memory care facility, uh, the conversations with the residents as their eyes light up, like they're feeling loved, right? When you you do something for someone else, uh, students, you love this. You love when I talk about this stuff. But when you just do what your parents ask, one time, <laughs> one time in your teenage years, you just do it and you say, okay. Uh, at the other end of that is love, right? And love covers a multitude of sins. Scripture tells us, right? Everything looks better when it's under the light of that love that God shines on us, Right? So it all comes to this place where it's a conscious evaluation. It's a choice to where I would rather do this for myself, but instead I'm going to show someone love. I'm going to look for an opportunity to show someone else love. Beautiful. So I think I forgot to tell you guys to write some of those things down. Hopefully you've been kind of following along. On your list, it will say knowledge, self-control, patience, Reverence, brotherly affection. Oh, you probably have it up on the screen. I'm slow. Uh, brotherly affection and love. And here's what I want you guys to do. This is real homework. We all know you're going out to eat after, after church. We know you are. Uh, I see you guys on Sunday when I go out to eat. I know you're doing it. And if you're not going out to eat, you're going to go home and you're going to sit around a table and eat. Turn on the Astros game. That's great. But I want you to take this list with you, right? And these are things that we can't do on our own, right? It's his divine power working through us that allows us to do these things and gives us the power to do these things as we stand under his light. But I want you to maybe beside a couple of those, write how you're going to practice that. What does that look like for you? And as I listed them, you were probably like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, like you saw one, you're like, come on, Jeff, right? That one, write something under that one. How are you going to practice that this week, right? Do it one time, one time, see how it goes. And I bet you'll want to do it a second time. Okay. Verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Years ago, and I've probably told this story in here before, just act like you haven't heard it, Um, but I took some guys camping in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. We went backpacking. And uh, they were all, actually my brother lives in Tennessee, but the other two guys were from here at Cypher. They now live in different states. But uh, one of them on this backpacking trip It was his first one, and there's no way to really prepare for it. And those of you going on the backpacking trip in a couple weeks, this will not happen to you, so don't even sweat it, right? It's happened to another guy in a different situation. 
But as we walked, um, he had never done anything like this before, and we're on the Appalachian Trail, and it's like walking through a tunnel, right? It's not like West Coast and, you know, the Rockies where you have these giant vistas and there's like the, the Rocky Mountains. You see all the rocks at the top above the tree line. This is, it's almost like going through a jungle, right? You have the trail, but the trees kind of cover over the top, and so it's different. It's a different kind of hike. And the problem is that you don't see that you're making any progress. You never know that you're making progress. And he was exhausted, and I think he was discouraged. And at one point, he stopped, and he's like, I need to take a break. And he took his pack off, and he leaned against a tree, and somewhere between passed out and fell asleep, he was just laying there against this tree. And so I sent one of the guys ahead to go as far as he could go, drop his pack, and then come back. And um, when the guy finally came to, and I'm like, you okay, can you do this? And he's like, sure. So I put his pack on the front. And if you ever backpacked in a group, at some point you're going to have to carry two packs. That's the way this goes, right? Again, students, not for you guys. This is a different thing. But it got so bad at one point, like he's just leaning against a tree and he's like, I can't do it. And I'm like, and in my mind I'm thinking, you kind of have to because there's, there's not a Walmart right here where I can run in and grab you something. Like, we're close to nothing but bears and mosquitoes, so let's go. Uh, But he's leaning against this tree, and I was like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick out a tree up the trail, like maybe 10 trees ahead, 10 feet. It doesn't even have to be far. I want you to walk to that tree, and then you can lean on that one. And you can count to 60, or I'll count to 60, and you're probably going to want to punch me, but I'll count to 60, and then you pick another tree, and you go to that one. And like, I'm carrying his pack and he's like walking through there like he's been wounded, you know, and he'd lean against the next tree and the next tree and we turn a corner and there's this huge incline and I'm like, oh, Jesus, now you need to come back. Like, this is over. (laughs) But uh, we eventually got up that hill and if you, have you guys ever been to Tennessee? You can't be in Tennessee for more than about four minutes before somebody sings a song called Rocky Top. You guys know this. Some of you have been to Tennessee before. Uh, They sing it, and they mean it, and they love it, and it's their religion, and good old Rocky Top, right? Well, this place on the Appalachian Trail was called Rocky Top, and so they like we got up to this spot, and I think this is what the song is named after, as far as we know it is, so we'll say yes. Uh, But we got up to Rocky Top, and we stood on top of the rock, and you could see Canada and Cuba and Peru. Like, you can see everything from up there. And like he stuck his head up above the trees and he looked and his facial expression changed and he had color back in his face and he's like, oh my goodness, right? And the breeze hits and it's blowing all the mosquitoes off of us. And I was like, check it out, like way back over there, that's where we started. And his eyes got real big. And so in those moments, right on the trail where you're like, we're not going anywhere, we're not making any progress We're like one minute from the car, even though we've been hiking two days. It all looks the same. I'm miserable. But you get these moments where you stick your head above the trees and you can look and you see all of that progress, right? And it encourages us. And he was fine. Like he danced to the next thing. I still had to carry his pack for a little bit, but uh, he's like marching and singing. I would take your pack back, buddy. I'm not doing this forever, (laughs) right? But there's these moments of clarity where we see the progress but it's not, it's not every day. We have to keep moving forward. And we have to go from one decision 
to the next decision and keep practicing, keep making the right decisions, and we make progress. We've got to keep going. Don't give up. It only happens over time. So verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Practice through his divine power with our intentions and our efforts, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Man, that's the good news. At the end of this trail, right at the end of this process, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we first confess that none of these things are possible without you, without your Holy Spirit at work in us. Father, through your spirit, we ask that our efforts and our intentions bear fruit, that we may learn to put these virtues into practice. And Father, may we learn to walk in your light, to walk humbly in the understanding that our righteousness is just a big, fat mess. We're thankful for you, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 12 says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time recall these things, right? Peter reminds us that we need repetition and we need reminders. And as, he's, as he knows that his death is coming, he's like, I just want to say it again. Like, just remind you, keep going, keep going. Like Ira talked about earlier, we need community to help us to remember, to encourage us to continue in our faith. And there's no better reminder uh, than the Lord's Supper, than communion. And so as you come forward today, uh, allow that to be a reminder of where this whole process starts, right? It starts at the cross. And I want you, as you take that today, you'll come forward and someone will hand you a piece of bread and they'll say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll take it and you'll dip it in the cup and they'll say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, right? And as you, as you take communion this morning, I want you to hear in the back of your mind his divine power. Right? You guys are free. You're standing in the light. Allow his work on the cross to cover you. Right? Allow all of those things to be revealed and then practice a different way. Keep going. Don't give up. Right? You're going to succeed this week and you're going to fail this week. But you know what? We're going to come back next Sunday and we're going to go to the table again and we're going to be reminded it's okay. It is finished. Amen? Uh, would servers come forward? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Amen.
Go in peace.